0: Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna with pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Oh, peace of peace. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. They did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, are you arg- what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, And taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. So Ash Wednesday reminds me of this TED Talk I heard a while ago, this moment of it from Oliver Berkman, where he spoke with this woman with a very advanced stage cancer that was terminal. And she told him, you know, one of the strangest things that I've heard is that several people have asked me, earnestly, what does it feel like to know that you are going to die? And she said, I just wanted to laugh, because I wanted to tell them, don't you know that you are going to die too? We are all going to die. I mean, it's weird to say it like that, but it's true, and that's part of why we're here at Ash Wednesday, to face that reality. It's it's like the Roman tradition, memento mori, which is just this Latin phrase that remember, says, remember, you will die. Now, the meaning of the ashes with Ash Wednesday, it comes from Genesis, right? And in Genesis, it says that our bodies, they were formed, God formed it from the earth, from the dust. And, and as Jen talked about in the breath prayer, God breathes the spirit and brings life into the dust. And eventually, that spirit leaves our bodies and they return to the dust like everything else. You know, it's one of the interesting things being a pastor that we deal a lot with death and it is a privilege and it is a burden. And I mean that, it is both, a burden and it's a privilege, getting trusted by families to walk through these moments of grief and funeral and sometimes tragedies Sometime last year, I got a package from my uncle. My uncle Jim is the son of a pastor, and he never got that calling to be a pastor himself, but he's still pretty religious of a guy. He's the guy that in his congregation, when the pastor goes out of town, they call him and say, would you mind preaching this Sunday? And so my uncle Jim and I, we've talked about writing sermons several times, and so I got this package from him, and it was this um, booklet. And this booklet belonged to his dad, who was a pastor, but his dad got it from his mentor, who was a pastor. And this booklet is a collection of sermons from funerals that this mentor preached back in the 30s. And it's interesting because it has that, you know, old book smell to it. And all the pages, you can see there, they're written by typewriter. And then he's got all these handwritten scrawls in the margins of it. And so it's kind of neat to have just as this piece of history. But then as I was reading through these old funeral sermons, I had this feeling going on. And I couldn't quite name what it was, but I had this feeling that something special was happening as I was reading it. I'm guessing you've had this feeling at some point in your life, like you're doing the normal day-to-day stuff and then something unexpected happens and it catches your attention, and you think, what is this? I don't know, but something different, something meaningful, something sacred. It's happening. So I was getting this, one of those sacred feelings as I was reading it, and I realized what it was. I was having this feeling of connection with these pastors from these other generations. And it's a morbid connection, but it's a beautiful one, too. I mean, think about it. I was getting these glimpses of the lives of people who died back in the 30s. And I don't really know much about them, just little bits of details from these sermons. Don't really know who they were. I know that some of them were older, some of them were younger. There's even some children in here. And I also get this pastor who is reflecting on their lives and on their death, and that was part of his calling But of course, that pastor has long since died too. And then at some point, he passed this booklet on to this pastor in the next generation. And he had a long career of all these funerals where he reflected on other people's lives and then their deaths. And then at some point, he died passed this booklet to his son, his son passed the booklet on to me, and now I, in my calling, I get to do funerals where I reflect on people's lives and deaths, and at some point, someone will reflect on my life and my death and all of yours because we are all dust, and to dust, we will return. So I wanna share one passage from one of these funeral sermons from back in the 30s And like I said, I don't really have much background into what was going on. I just know that this was a funeral of a young man who died by some tragedy. But here's what that pastor had to say. God's word has reminded us oftentimes of the brevity of life. Even the promised three score and 10 is not very long. Now that's from Psalm uh, 90 where it says, we have about 70 years, maybe 80. Maybe 80. That's what it says, that's about how long human life is, three score and 10. When it is barely one score, it is exceedingly brief. We are told that life is like a flower, blooming for a short period of time and then fading away. It is like a shadow that travels rapidly across the field and is gone. It is like a story that is soon told and ended. All of these figures are very suggestive. They call to us to enjoy the fragrance of life while we have it. They urge us to live in the light before the shadow falls on us, and they counsel us to make good use of the story of life while we have it. The fact that death is not far away is not placed before us that we might be distressed because of the coming end, but that we might rightly evaluate the hours of life which are in our possession, that we might use them to the honor and glory of God and to the service of humanity. I mean, there's the gift, right, in remembering our mortality. It has this gift of giving us a different perspective on life. Remembering that, yeah, we are all dust, returning to the dust. That helps us to step back from all of the day-to-day routine, the things that we are busy with in life, and realize what really matters and what doesn't. Because if we don't do that, well, then we're tempted to think things like, well, life is about how many toys you can get before you die, how much money you can have. Life is about climbing high on the career ladder, the social ladder. Life is about being well-honored and respected and having positions of authority. Or for Americans, you know what we love? We love to worship productivity. And so maybe life is about the hustle and the grind and, and it's about who can sacrifice the most time with family and leisure to get the next thing, whatever that is, except all of that stuff is dust, returning to the dust, just like our bodies will. And at the end of our lives, none of that stuff really matters. And when we don't get that shift in perspective, we end up focused on those things, the wrong things. I think that's what's happening in our reading today with Jesus and the disciples. So it starts with Jesus traveling around, and the text tells us, that he's trying to keep his presence quiet. He's not trying to draw in the big crowds right now because he's got something important to say to the disciples, something that they need to hear. And what he's telling them is all of this ministry, it's all heading to the cross. So he gives this passion prediction. Let's look at this. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But look at how the disciples respond. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. I mean, they're like, what does he mean he's gonna be captured and killed? That doesn't make any sense. A Messiah is a champion. A Messiah defeats the enemies. He doesn't like lay down and die at their hands. That doesn't make any sense. So they don't get it, they can't accept that he's about to die, and they're too afraid to ask him about it. Now there could be a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons, I think, is that this isn't the first time he's told the disciples. There's another time before this in Mark's Gospel where he told them where this is headed, and Peter pushed back. Any of you remember this encounter? And Peter says, no, Lord, forbid it. Don't worry, you're not gonna die, this doesn't have to happen. You remember what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. So no wonder they're not too eager to be the next one who's called Satan. It makes sense. They're a little bit afraid to ask questions here. And so instead, they just pretend that nothing significant has happened. They just go on. But I love what happens next. I think this next part is just hilarious. So then they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, and can't you picture that? This is like a, a kid scolding their, like, a parent scolding their children, they had this guilty look on their face. What were you arguing about on the way? And they were silent, for they, on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> like you, come on, guys. And they, they're silent because they know this is the wrong thing. They're embarrassed about it. They know that that's not what they should be focused on. It shouldn't be about who's the greatest. and no, They know that already, but they just can't help themselves. But let's be honest, doesn't that happen with us too? I mean, in our head we may know that yeah, we're not supposed to pursue wealth and we're not supposed to pursue power and yeah, 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 but that's the world we live in. I mean, that is the current around us that we're swimming in. It is really hard to swim against that, even if we know better. And so Jesus tells them this, whoever wants to be first must be last of all, and servant of all. It's like God's kingdom isn't just about helping you climb the ladder. No, God's kingdom is about knocking down the ladder and building something else. Like this whole world gets flipped upside down. The first will be last. The hungry, they will be fed. The humble will be exalted. Everything changes. And the disciples, they've heard this before. And I'm guessing, I don't know this, but I'm guessing that they probably agree with it, at least in theory. Okay, yeah, I can agree with that, but they still don't really get it. They can't, I don't think they are able to live into this different reality until they actually see the cross and then the empty tomb. Like until you're faced with that reality that Jesus' story, just like their story, just like our story, it will lead to death and the life that rises after it. Until you see that, until you accept that and know that, you, you just can't live in a different worldview. And so we start this season of Lent that leads to Easter, and we love Easter. We start remembering, though, where we're headed. That this story of Jesus, just like our story, it does lead to our death. There's no getting around that. There's no avoiding it. But that's not the end of the story. We are dust and to dust we shall return and God breathes life into that dust.